Well, I don't know about you, but uh, the Weber house has some Christmas rules. Maybe your house has some rules too, um, like when you're allowed to set up the Christmas tree, uh, when it's too early, when, it's, you know, when you have to take it down. Um, I see some of you looking at each other. One of the rules we have is about when you're allowed to listen to Christmas music. Um, you can listen to it too early, and then you can listen to it too much. So uh, that, this is a, a, a conversation we have in my house a lot about when is it okay to uh, begin listening to Christmas music. Um, in, in another career, uh, I had to start listening to Christmas music. Eddie, we start in July listening to Christmas music. Um, but when I, um, when I was demoted to the senior pastor, uh, one of the benefits of that demotion was that I did not have to listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. And so I, I don't want to hear any Christmas music before Thanksgiving. But after Thanksgiving, I like to listen to Christmas music. And I want to listen to it all the way up till Christmas Day, but then I don't want to listen to it after Christmas. It's sort of like my Thanksgiving rule. I'm not allowed to eat turkey um, Anytime after 4th of July, because I want it to be special when you get to Thanksgiving. Can I get any, anybody else out there know what I'm talking? Yeah, could you? Thank you. I got one witness in the back who agrees. Um, but I do, I, I really like Christmas music, and some of the Christmas songs we sing have really, really great theology that teach us a lot about the Christmas story and what it is we believe. And other songs, maybe the theology isn't so good. Um, the message might not even be so good. I, I really could care less to ever hear Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer again. Not only is it bad theology, it's just bad. <laughs> it's just bad in every way. Um, one of the all-time favorite Christmas songs that people like uh, universally is the song Silent Night. Anybody out there, it's your favorite Christmas song? Let me see your hands. Yeah, a few of you. Favorite so- Christmas song, Silent Night. Um, I find it ironic um, that Silent Night is uh, probably tells the story of a night that was anything but silent. Um, those of you who have been in a labor and delivery room know it's not silent. Um, and if you've ever lived on a farm or been near a barn, you also know it is not a silent place. And so it was not silent that night, uh, besides the fact that Mary was giving birth to her firstborn child, and there were animals all around, and there were shepherds from the fields that came in. It was anything but silent. So that song has always been ironic to me, but I still think it's a good song because I think it speaks to something that is inside of the human heart, a longing that we have for peace that we seem to not be able to find anywhere. Uh, We've been looking for it for years and years and years, and it seems to elude us. Uh, In fact, one of my favorite stories about the song Silent Night comes from World War I, and it's a story in 1914 on Christmas Eve when uh, the British and the German troops were in a stalemate and uh, they, they had been, you know, in this place for months and months and months, and there was a no man's land between them. And uh, that night on Christmas Eve, the British soldiers saw the Germans beginning to approach the no man's land, and they got ready to engage in battle until they looked closer to realize that the German soldiers were carrying with them Christmas trees. And from the front lines, there was a German soldier who began, be, began to sing Still de Nacht, and then the British soldiers So the story goes, sang along with them, and then the next thing you know, they're in no man's land where there was a peace, a truce that evening. Uh, They buried their dead who had been lying in the field, and then they played a game of football. Um, And that was a night where what their hearts had longed for, the stillness, uh, came about, and it is picture, I think, a picture for what we long for. In the middle of 
all the chaos of life in the middle of the controversy and all the drama and the struggles, we, we long to know that we can have peace with God, that we can have peace with each other. And 2,000 years after the birth of this one who we call Prince of Peace, that peace still eludes us. In fact, I think you can look at the busyness of this season in particular, all the noise and the clamor and the lights and the shows and the busyness, and it's almost a symbol for the way we try to resist the very one who came to bring us peace. All the ways that we try to fight against what Jesus has come to give us. And so the world still is looking for that silent night. And yet the one who promised to give it to us, Jesus, the Son of God, who came to bring us God's peace, still offers it to us. But it's more than just socially. It's more than just politically. It's more than just uh, on the global stage. It's also in our homes. It's also in our own lives, that there is a sense of Uh, a a sense of conflict that we struggle with. Maybe for you, it's a relational conflict. Maybe for you, it's an internal conflict. Maybe the ghosts of Christmas past seem to haunt you. And like no other time of year, Christmas comes around and you're remembered. You remember all the things uh, that you've lost, all the people who are no longer with you, all the regrets, the shame. And something about this most wonderful, joyous time of the year for you brings about a lot of pain, a lot of internal conflict. Well, we started a series several weeks ago called Alias, and we've been looking at a promise that was given to mankind hundreds of years before Jesus was even born by the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah said that there would be coming a child who would be born, and that his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about the Prince of Peace what it is that Jesus has come to bring us that we are looking for. And for some of you today, maybe, maybe today, you would finally invite the Prince of Peace to reign in your heart. Maybe you've known him externally, you've heard him sung about, you've heard him talked about, you've read about him in the Bible, but he has never had access to reign in your heart and your life. And my prayer today is that today would be the day the Prince of Peace would take his rightful throne in your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promise of the Prince of Peace. And Lord, as we see the controversies and conflict and chaos that seems to surround us, especially this time of year, Lord, both on a global stage and in politics and in the news, but also in our own homes and maybe even in our own minds and hearts, we invite you Prince of Peace, to reign in this place at this time. Father, that we might know that it is more than a story that has been told and retold, but it's a reality that you still come to give, you still come to reign in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, who will make room in their hearts for you. And so today, Prince of Peace, we invite you, come and reign in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So each week during this series, we try to uh, take apart these names and look at the pattern of what they tell us about this one who would be born, who is Jesus. So Prince of Peace tells us who he is, that Jesus, in fact, is our peace. He didn't come just to bring us peace. This is really important. He came to be peace. There's a difference between one who brings peace, we're going to talk about that in a minute, and one who is peace. And Jesus is our peace. It also tells us about his nature. It reminds us, as all these names do, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. 
The name Prince or the title Prince is a human title. Uh, We give that title to people. There aren't a lot of people in the world who bear that title. Uh, But there are people who have the title Prince. It's a human title. But peace is a divine term. It is a word exclusively used for God. In this case, the Hebrew word shalom uh, that Byron talked about earlier as they were lighting the Advent candle. The shalom is more than just an absence of conflict. Shalom means a completeness, a wholeness. When you read the Genesis account, as you talk about the creation, you hear the creation account told. Every time God creates something and he says it is good, the, the idea is there that it is complete. It is whole. It is perfect. This is, the, this is that idea of perfection that we all seem to pursue, but we can never quite get there. It's like the carrot at the end of the stick, and we're the donkey chasing it. We never quite get to perfection, but we know it exists. Somewhere in our heart and our mind, we know that perfection does exist. We aren't perfect. We can't seem to find anybody who's perfect. We can't seem to find a perfect situation, but we know somewhere inside of us, we're longing for a perfect marriage, the perfect child, the perfect parent. We're longing for the perfect job. And all we have to do is participate in it for just a little bit to realize it doesn't measure up. It doesn't measure up to what I want. It doesn't measure up to what I expected. And yet we know that 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 reality, that perfection must exist. It's planted inside of us. God calls that shalom, perfect peace, perfect completeness with God. And Jesus is the prince of peace. And finally, tells us the gift that Jesus came to give, that he came to shut down religion. And you might think, well, that's an awfully weird thing to talk about in church on Sunday right before Christmas. It's maybe the highest religious holiday of the entire year. But I think we miss the point of what Jesus came to do if we confuse what Jesus came to give us with religion. See, religion is about what I can do to work my way to God. What can I do in order to bring peace with, to, God, to my relationship with God and with other people? But you don't have to live very long to realize there's really not much you can do to bring peace. You can try, but sometimes your best efforts only make the situation worse. Can I get an amen? Anybody out there ever tried to go and have a conversation with somebody? You felt, I'm crossways with this person. We're, we've, got a, we've got a problem. I'm going to go clear it up. And you go and you have the conversation and it's worse than when you started. Because we seem to be able to mess up something. And God says, Jesus did not come into the world in order to establish a new religion. In fact, Jesus came to do away with all religion and to give us peace with God. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by religion, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? No. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the world had religion a long time before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and religion never seemed to bring about the peace that people were pursuing. But Jesus came not in order to institute a new religion. He came to give us peace with God, that it is through faith in him, it's through our belief in him that we finally have the peace that we're seeking with God. So let's take a look at this and take it apart just a little bit about the kind of peace that Jesus is. The first thing we see is that the peace of Jesus is eternal and expanding. It is eternal and expanding. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. This has been our theme verse through Advent. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. The prophet Isaiah says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen to what he says in verse 7, of the increase of his government, 
and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So of the increase of his government, of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. And this child that is born is going to establish it and it is going to begin at this time forth and forevermore and expand. So the idea is that as Jesus is born into the chaos of humanity, it is almost as if a seed is planted. And as that seed begins to take root and grow and grow and grow, the expansion of his influence, the expansion of his government, the expansion of his reign and of his his peace just continues to grow and grow and it will extend through all eternity. When Jesus talked about his kingdom, he used some interesting illustrations He talked about a seed that was planted. He talked about yeast that was sown into the dough in order to make the dough rise. And he talked about a hidden treasure that somebody finds in a field. All of these analogies have something in common. And it's the idea that it grows. It's something that begins small and it begins to expand and it begins to stretch and it begins to move and it begins to consume more and more and more space. And I think that's the message we have to remember when we think about the peace that Jesus came to give. That it started small. Very few people even noticed it. Only some shepherds out in the field. It took the wise men from the east two or three years before they finally arrived in in Bethlehem to see this child that was born. But none of the religious leaders, none of the political leaders recognized what was happening right in that small town of Bethlehem as Jesus was born. And it began to grow. And throughout the course of his ministry and his life, very few people recognized what God was doing through Jesus. And yet, as he died and suffered and died on the cross, and as he was laid in the tomb three days later, he was raised from the dead. By the time Paul was writing, he said there were more than 500 people who had witnessed it. By the time of Paul's death, Christianity had spread to the entire Roman world. And then hundreds and thousands of years later, here we sit on a continent they didn't even know existed a part of his church, a part of his kingdom that continues to expand and stretch both geographically and chronologically into the future. And no, it's not perfect. And no, we fall short. And yes, there have been religious wars through the years. But remember, Jesus didn't come to set up religion. He came to shut it down. And so Christians, people who call themselves Christians may have gotten it wrong. We still get it wrong. And yet the kingdom of God is growing inside of those who are honestly pursuing Jesus Christ inside his church his true church and so the peace continues to grow and expand but it's not just something that happens somewhere else it happens inside of each one of us so peace begins between you and God and as you find peace with God that peace can then grow to peace with yourself suddenly your past begins to make sense And all those things that you look on with shame and regret become trophies of God's grace in your life. You find a peace that you could never find apart from Jesus. And then the peace grows from just between you and God to peace in yourself to then it begins to permeate the relationships that you have. And suddenly it can heal marriages and it can heal relationships with kids and it can heal relationships with friends and coworkers and it can even make us love our enemies as we love ourselves. But it starts small, and it starts by having peace with God first, the one who came to give us peace. I don't know if any of you have ever noticed, but anxiety is contagious. Anybody ever pick up on that? 
Like, do you ever come home? Now, this never happens in my house, but do you ever come home and your spouse is a little anxious and suddenly you find yourself anxious? Anybody ever? You don't have to admit it now. But, but you, you walk in and you just know something's not right. Like, I don't know what kid did what, but I wish they'd stop. And you just get this sense that there's some sort of anxiety or worry or dread that's in the house. It's contagious. You go to the workplace and your boss just seems to be short. He or she just seems to give directions without any explanation. And there you can tell he or she's being curt and right to the point. You don't know what's wrong. Maybe you look at your coworker, your coworker shrugs. But suddenly the next thing you know, everybody in the office is anxious because anxiety is contagious. It spreads. But you know, peace can too. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers, people who go into difficult situations, people who go into conflict, who enter into the war in order to bring peace. And the reason Jesus says that they'll, they'll be called children of God, because you never look more like your creator than when you're doing what your creator does, bringing peace. When you enter into a situation for the purpose of bringing peace. Now, now listen, hear me carefully, because some of you who, are, who may even be thinking in your heart and your mind, yes, amen, you need to know something. This does not mean that you avoid conflict. In fact, it may mean that you seek conflict out so that you can go into the conflict in order to bring about peace. Sometimes peace only comes about through conflict. You can't ignore your way to peace. You can't simply try to avoid circumstances and, and call that peace. That may be passive, passivism, but it is not peace. And God has said, hey, I am calling you to be peacemakers in a world that desperately needs it. Into relationships that definitely, desperately need peace. And so how do you do that? Well, the first thing is you have to have peace with God first. You have to have that peace that comes with God only through the Prince of Peace, only through Jesus, by placing your faith, faith and your trust in him, by reconciling, allowing him to reconcile your past so that you can have peace within yourself so that then that peace can begin to spread to other people. And you can become a peacemaker. You can join God in his mission of establishing his peaceable kingdom. It's not passivity. It's, it is joining God in a place where peace needs to come. Where are you right now avoiding a situation that is absent of peace? That God may be inviting you to go into that situation to be his ambassador of peace. Is it a relationship? Is it something in your neighborhood? Is it something in your office, in your workplace? Is it something here at church? Maybe it's in your small group. And, and you know you're avoiding a very hard and a very difficult conversation. But the truth is, the only way peace is going to come is if you join God in his mission of spreading his kingdom of peace. The next thing we see about the peace that Jesus offers is that it's conditional and contagious. Conditional and contagious. Look with me at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, familiar Christmas story, familiar passage. We sang a little bit about it earlier. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So notice, the message is for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, I think it's important for us to recognize that the message that Jesus came to give was universal. It was a universal message. It was for all people, but it was conditional. It was conditioned for those with whom he is pleased. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. With whom is God pleased? If this peace that Jesus came to give is conditional upon those with whom God is pleased, who are those people with whom God is pleased? Well, let's take a look at what the Bible says about what it means to please God. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they what? Because they trust in you. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Romans 15.13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? Believing. John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who what? Believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, the peace that God gives is conditional. What is it conditioned upon? It's conditioned upon your belief and your trust in him. That's it. It's not conditional upon how much you come to church or if you took communion, or if you said your prayers the right way. It's not conditional on how much you've read your Bible, or how much money you put in the offering plate. The peace that God comes to give is conditional upon one thing, and that is the faith and the trust that you are willing to place in Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can bring you peace. See, peace on earth to those whom God's favor rests. Who, who is it that received God's favor? It's the people who place their faith and their trust in him. So let me ask you this question. If you are lacking peace with God, if you are lacking peace with yourself, if you're lacking peace with other people, let me just ask you, have you met God's condition for peace? Have you, by faith, accepted and received the peace that only Jesus can give? I didn't ask if you're religious. I didn't ask if you're a good person. I didn't ask if you try to do good things in order to outweigh the bad things you've done. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Have you made peace with God through Jesus Christ by placing your faith and your trust in him? That's the condition. But it's conditional and it's contagious. Look what happens next in verse 15 with the shepherds. When the shepherds went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I love this because they didn't just take the angel's word for it. Now think about that for a second. 
If an angel appeared to you in the skies, would you believe it? I mean, I think I, kinda, I, think I would. Not these guys. They said, let's go check this out. And they went to see for themselves what had happened. And when they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Do you know what this tells me? That it wasn't religious people who first started sharing the message of the birth of Jesus. It was shepherds, common, ordinary people who had seen something, they had heard something, they had experienced something, and they couldn't wait to tell everybody they met about what they'd seen and heard and believed. That God had come among his people. That the Messiah was born. Now think about this. Jesus has not uttered anything besides a cry. He's not issued any commands. There was no great commission. These shepherds simply went and told because of something they experienced and it seemed like the right thing to do. You see, the peace that Jesus comes to give is conditional, but it's also contagious. And when you've experienced it, you can't help but to want to share it with other people. This is why those of us who've experienced peace with Jesus Christ are so anxious to tell other people about the peace. This is what it means to be a peacemaker, to join Jesus in his mission of establishing God's kingdom of peace. And finally, the peace that Jesus comes to give is a deposit and a guarantee. Look with me at John chapter 14, verse 27. John chapter 14, this is the teachings of Jesus. Now, it's important to get an idea of of when this is taking place. We just heard um, a prophecy from ancient times about the one who was going to come to be the Prince of Peace 700 years before Jesus was born, the promise that he would be the Prince of Peace. We just read about the birth of the Prince of Peace, that he had come to give peace to all people on whom God's favor had rested. And now, at the very end of Jesus' life, listen to what he says about the peace he comes to give. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to my Father. For the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it takes place, you may, what's that last word? Believe. You see the connection between belief and faith and trust and peace? They're always connected. Jesus is telling his disciples. These guys still expect Jesus to become a military conqueror. They still expect Jesus to be the one who's going to kick the Romans out and who's going to assume the throne of Israel. That's what they're waiting on. And Jesus knows that he is about to give his life on the cross, that all their hope is about to be dashed. They're about to experience disappointment like they've never experienced before. And Jesus is telling them right before this happens, listen to me, guys, listen. My peace I leave with you. I'm giving you peace. But listen, it's not going to look like what you expect. It's not going to look like what the rest of the world calls peace. 
In fact, it's going to feel like something very different than that. It's going to feel like disappointment. It's going to feel like defeat. It's going to feel like tragedy. But that's what it looks like to begin with. But I'm telling you, there is a seed being planted in the crucifixion of Jesus that is going to bloom, burst forth from the earth on Easter Sunday morning. And peace is going to begin to take root. And he's saying, you guys need to listen to me. I'm giving you this peace. But you have to have faith. You have to believe. You have to believe and hope in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of the chaos and the pain. You have to believe that peace will reign. Listen to what he says in verse 16, chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. This verse, chapter 16, verse 33, some of you need to write it down. You need to memorize it. You need to go back and look at it. Because right now, you are looking at your life and you're saying, God, how in the midst of this chaos, how in the midst of this disappointment, are you bringing peace? And Jesus down through the years, continues to say to you, I have said these things to you. I have said all of these things to you that you may have peace. Yes, in the world around you, there's tribulation. Yes, in the world around you, there is conflict. But take heart because I, I who am your peace, have overcome the world. Do you see why you can only have peace in Jesus Christ? Because he's the only one who's overcome the world. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, John says this, You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You see, the peace that Jesus came to give you is a deposit and a guarantee. Regardless of the difficulties you face, God has given you a deposit and a guarantee of eternal peace. You may be in the midst of the worst crisis you've ever experienced in your life. Your marriage may be on life support. You may have just gotten back a terrible report from the doctor. You may have just lost your job and you don't know how you're going to make ends meet next year. Take heart. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God has placed a deposit in your heart in the form of Jesus. And if you will have faith and confidence in him, that peace can be the peace you need to overcome the challenges you face. So this morning, as we talk about the Prince of Peace, the hope that we have, the thing we seem to resist, when pain comes, when difficulty comes, when conflict comes, we just turn the music up louder, we just busy ourselves. I just wonder if there is a conflict in your life right now where you would invite the Prince of Peace to come in and reign. Jesus came to bring peace with God. But he didn't come to do it by saddling you with the burden of religion. He didn't come because he expected you to be the one to create peace between you and God. He brought it by bringing the offer of a relationship with him. The one who is your peace. The Prince of Peace. There may be conflict all around you. But God's invitation to you is to look within and by faith and trust in Jesus Christ to have peace with God. And by having peace with God to reconcile your past 
all the shame, all the regret, all the pain, all the burden, all the conflict, suddenly it makes sense in Jesus. And then from that place, to join Jesus and join the angels, join the shepherds in proclaiming the peace that is found in God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. And in just a moment, we're going to hear the words of a song that's really a prayer. And while we listen to this prayer spoken and sung, I just would invite you in the stillness of the moment, maybe you would keep your eyes closed and just listen for that still small voice of the Prince of Peace. Maybe for you here on December 23rd, in the middle of what is for most of you maybe the busiest time of the year, it would be the first chance for you to be still long enough to hear the voice of Jesus whispering to you, peace, be still. Father God, we come to you with the hope that is a universal hope for all people of all cultures through all ages. We have long searched for peace. We have tried to manufacture it through political systems, through economic systems, through technology. We've even tried to accomplish it through war and violence through religion. And yet there is nothing that we have been able to do that has quieted the noise within our own souls and hearts, the violence that rages within us. And yet you penetrated that noise on that night that Jesus was born and the angels declared to the shepherds, that you have come to bring peace. The peace for which so many had looked for, the peace for which so many still seek. You came and you brought us in the form of Jesus who would die a violent death in order to plant the seed of peace in any and every heart who would believe. Lord, today I pray. I pray for those who are here, who call themselves Christians and yet have not allowed your peace to reign in their hearts, that today, by faith and trust in you, they would not let their circumstances define what is true, but that they would invite you once again to reign as their Prince of Peace. For those who are here, who have never accepted Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today they would stop with all of their efforts that they've engaged in in trying to make peace with you, that they would surrender and that they would invite the Prince of Peace to reign in their hearts. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for bringing us his peace.